It's great to have you back on the next episode of Anand's Five. And in this one, we're going to be talking about how we can walk the path to set ourselves free from ourselves. Today, we're looking at verse 14. And the verse begins by Guru saying, The devotee's stride is unique. The unique stride of the devotee is a difficult path to follow. Craving, hoarding, identifying and desires are abandoned and they speak very little. Sharp as a sword and thin as a hair, such is the path they follow. By Guru's grace, those who abandon themselves merge tendencies into hurry. Says Nanak, the devotee's stride is unique throughout the ages. According to the Guru, there are only two types of people, those who are awake and those who are asleep to their truest nature. Being asleep isn't something that has been focused upon much within this Bani, but it's been alluded to and we've heard the ideas of being drugged, being intoxicated, being enchanted by the physical world, being attached to our families, being deluded by our own minds. So the Guru here starts by saying, Bhagtanki Chal Nirali. The devotee's stride is unique. The Guru uses a really important word here, the Bhagat, and says that their lifestyle is completely unique. It's unlike anything else that we are experiencing here on earth. And the word Bhagat comes from Bhagti. Bhagti really just means love. It means loving devotion, where you surrender everything in your life and your whole focus becomes love and praise towards the origin, towards the source of life itself. I remember before I got married, when my wife and I was first beginning to get to know each other, we would spend all of our time talking to each other. Every day we would wake up and we would message each other. And before we go to sleep, we would be sending each other messages. And I remember very clearly one morning waking up and having an experience where just as I woke up, I couldn't tell the difference between who I was and who she was. She was in her own home and I was in my home and I was sitting up in bed and I remember this distinct feeling of not feeling like myself anymore. There was a part of me that felt like it was joined with her. Me and her were somehow becoming one person. And this was a very strange experience for a young, young man who had never gone through anything like this. And the reason is because when we were getting to know each other, it didn't, get, it didn't take long for us to get emotionally involved. And so when I surrendered myself so deeply into love, when I felt that who I was was so intrinsically linked with who she was, then the very experience of who I was began to change and I couldn't tell who I was without her. My definition of myself began to change. I was no longer the old me. I was no longer me without her in my life. And when I understood this, it really began to make me appreciate what the spiritual masters have been talking about all this time. This loving devotion, which impacts you at such a deep level of who you are, that at the very core of who you are, 
you start to change. It changes your understanding of yourself. And this is what bhakti is. Bhakti isn't just something that the spiritual masters are doing. Bhakti is who they are. This devotion is coming from the deepest root of who they are, which is love. And if anyone's ever heard me speak before, you've heard me say this quote time and time again that I absolutely love from Kabir. And it says, Kabir, tu tu karta, tu hua. Kabir, by repeating you, you, I became you, mujme raha nahu, and nothing was left of me. Since the veil between myself and others has fallen, then wherever is seen, there is you. This loving devotion towards the sacred essence of the divine is what is encapsulated in this word bhakti. And where all that you can think about, all that you can see, your entire life's focus becomes about your expression towards this thing that you're in love with. So another word for bhakti that we can say is the lover, the beloved. The lover and the beloved are so intertwined that the lover only identifies with the beloved. He only knows the beloved as the most important thing in his life. And so this is the word Pagat that's being used in this line here. And the Guru is saying that these people live a lifestyle that is completely different. And the word Chal has been used here. The, the way they walk, their very stride, their very way of navigating through life is unique. And in the second line, Guru repeats this idea again. Chala nirali pagta keri become a marg chalana. The unique stride of the devotee is a difficult path to follow. So the way that these people live, these enlightened masters live, is so unlike anything that we see in the rest of society. It is nirali, it is unique in, in mankind's history. And most of us are too afraid to live like them. We're too worried that the world will think of us as strange, world will think that we've absolutely gone mad and we are weird. So because of that fear, because we have that fear in our life, we conform to how society expects us to behave. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes when I meet up with really old friends that I maybe used to hang around with 20 years ago, I notice that I start to act like how I was 20 years ago. I start saying things and behaving in ways that I feel that they expect from me. And even though there's a part of me that knows that this is not who I am anymore, there's a part of me that feels pressured to conform to what their expectation of me is going to be. And so it's so easy to do what you've always done before. It's so easy to behave how you think others want you to be. We begin to realize that change is quite difficult. It's quite painful to grow and this is why we have this this unique term growing pains because to evolve requires effort it requires that difficulty it requires persistence and it's uncomfortable that change becomes difficult and your mind will resist this this isn't something that you're going to be able to do easily because your mind is afraid because of what it thinks it will lose remember we only resist when there's fear we resist when we are afraid of losing something. And when it comes to growing as a person, when it comes to evolving and becoming a better version of you, what you fear of losing 
is you you fear that you're going to lose your your respect in other people people's opinions about you are going to change your ability to function in in the material world you worry well the spiritual message sounds like i'm never going to be able to achieve anything or 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 go for another job or make more money you worry about losing all of these things but what the guru is saying is that when your very definition of yourself internally has now changed then it must manifest in how you act in how you live in the way that you live your life will now be a direct reflection of of the way you understand who you are and so the guru is saying that this is difficult this is a become marg a difficult and unique path that is walked by very few very rare special individuals so the guru is giving this definition of what a bhagat is what is an enlightened person the next line the guru says lab lob ahankar taj trishna craving hoarding identifying and desires are abandoned and so now guru is demonstrating how is the devotee different how is the enlightened bhagat different and it's not just in their actions first and foremost it's in their mindset it's in their understanding that's changed and we saw these same three words being repeated in the last verse this lab lob and ahankar craving hoarding and identifying and now guru adds another layer to that which is desires trishna and the word trishna means the aspirations that we have for life our whole life is spent in wanting more in longing for more in building a better life and guru is saying that there are some people who are so rare that they're satisfied with whatever life has right now how rare is that person who does not need anything more they don't even need another day or another moment they're just so satisfied in this moment because in this moment their heart is filled with joy their heart is filled with love and they are so grateful just for this moment just for the blessing of being aware to appreciate the moment as it is that's it that's their path they don't need anything else they've given up their greed their desires they've given up their identifying with themselves your love lob ahankar your cravings your hoarding and self identifying and trishna your desires have all been lifted and our life is just not like this when we hear these words when we hear this description of life we understand that we are devoted to ourselves i always like to say that 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 you're meditating all the time you're meditating on the self of me and your pagti is to yourself your devotion is to yourself so just changing your spiritual actions isn't going to change anything just doing more spiritual things by just waking up at different times and eating different foods and reading different books that alone isn't enough if your spiritual practice isn't going to the very root of who you are it isn't lifting your trishna your desires your identifying your sense of always wanting more it isn't lifting the sense of me itself your ahankar your i amness if those things aren't being dealt with then you're simply fooling yourself and the guru is saying that we need to now find different ways to understand 
how to live. We need to be demonstrated. The Guru is saying, let me show you an example of a Bhagat and what his life is like. And the biggest thing that is different in his life is he does not attach himself to anything. Now, one of the ways to think about attachments is as though you're building bridges. At every moment, what am I building a bridge towards? What am I creating an expectation to hold on to? And this is something that you and I can practice on a day-to-day -day basis. Every single moment as you're walking around, as you're living your, your normal life, just think, what am I creating bridges with right now? Because the Bhagat is one who's breaking all the bridges, breaking worldly ties in this idea that they're going to bring us some sort of happiness. And we've realized that the more bridges that we build with the outside world, the more stress that we, we, we take on, the more things that we worry about, the more things that we have to look after and manage in our life. And the Bhagat is one who says, I have all these things, but I don't build a bridge with them. If they're there, they're there. If they're not, they're not. I have no ties with them. I am not weighing myself down and I'm not tying myself up with these things. I'm simply appreciating them for them being here. So the Bhagat is destroying all bridges and building a bridge with the source, with that oneness that is behind everything else. The next line is really interesting. The second half of this line, the Guru is saying that as well as picking up all of their desires, their attachments, their I amness, their greed, bohat nahi bolana, and they speak very little. And we saw something very similar in verse six, where the Guru says, "Androh jinka motutta, tinka shabat savarya." Those whose attachments have broken from within, through permanence, their word is perfected. And so the Guru is saying that not only have they, broken the, have they broken their ties with the world, but they also no longer need to spend all of their mind thinking about this and all of their time and their words being wasted on this. And when you think about what do we end up spending our time most of the day talking about, it's always about things that need to happen, things that have happened, discussing with your friends things that you're interested in, worldly things, what other people might be doing, where do you want to go in life, what's your, what's your job doing, how are your family and all these things. And what we really do with our life is we simply just have conversations with, about all the bridges that we've built. And we only talk about the things that we have created some ties to. Even sometimes we build bridges with things that are are not in our immediate life, but we might be worried about the environment or we might be worried about something happening on the other side of the world. So we build a bridge with that. And then we want to talk to people about it. Hey, look, look how important that thing is. I've built a bridge with it. Why don't you build a bridge with it? And what the Guru is saying is that these Bhagats, these devotees, they are very careful with their words. They know that every word costs one breath. And so rather than spending one breath on just cementing your ties with the world, with adding more bricks towards this bridge of attachment, they're using their words to say, I'm breaking these attachments and I'm going to build a bridge with the source, with the oneness itself. So they don't speak very much about the temporary transient world. They're only speaking of the eternal truth. And their world isn't about arguments and gossip and discussions that are showing how important you are, self-importance, isn't what they spend their time with. Their words are different to the words of, of, of you and I. 
So their stride is different, the way they live is different, how they conduct themselves is different and how they speak is different. So this is the, the chal nirali, the unique path of these people. But Guru is saying, this isn't easy. Don't think that you can do this very easily. Don't think that they're, they're doing something that comes naturally and easy to them. In the next line, Guru says, Khanyo tikki valo nikki et marg jana. Sharp as a sword and thin as a hair, such is the path they follow. This is such a beautiful analogy because the Guru is saying that they are walking a tightrope. I don't know if you ever remember going to the circus. I remember as a child going to the circus and seeing these people, these trapeze artists, swinging from one side to another or maybe walking a tightrope or maybe riding a bicycle on this rope and your heart is in your, in your mouth and you don't know whether they're going to fall. They're always looking like something's going to happen. And the Guru is trying to say that these people are walking a tightrope this enlightened way of living is so difficult. It's as though you're walking on a tightrope that is as thin as a single strand of hair. And that single strand of hair is as sharp as a razor, sharp as a knife. And when you, when you think about this analogy, you need to understand a little bit more about what is the Guru trying to say with these words. Think about a walk, a walking a tightrope. It's so thin as a single strand of hair and that means that it's so easy to fall off this path. It's so easy to fall back into the ego. Think about whatever spiritual experiences you've had in your life. Think about the greatest meditation that you've ever experienced or you've, you've, you've experienced whatever you think is a moment of clarity, of stillness, of silence, of peace. How easy was it to hold on to it or how easy was it for you to fall back into your natural sense of self and as soon as I you open your eyes I know in meditation well as soon as I open my eyes and no matter how amazing that experience is within a few minutes I'm back into myself into my own ego and the Guru is saying that you fall back into your individuality and these people are walking a tightrope that's so thin that it's so easy to fall off this path. It's so easy to separate yourself from this oneness. It's so easy to go back into this identity. I am me and I am not everything else. I am here and I am unique. And this is where the path of the Guru is as sharp as a sword because the Guru is constantly trying to cut that ego away from you, trying to cut away this sense of I amness from you. So your ego is always getting cut and it's very easy to fall off this path. It's so exhausting, it's so painful to be on this path. And the obvious question that comes when we talk about this is, why would anyone want to walk this path? Why would you want to do this? And the only way to answer that is if you reflect within yourself and you ask yourself an important question, are you tired with the suffering of life? Are you tired trying so hard to find happiness in every other way that you've fallen and you say, Guru, I give up. You take over the reins. You drive. You take over my life because I've tried and everything I've done by myself only seems to bring suffering and pain. 
And when you get to the point in your life where that's where you are, where you're so tired of expectations of life, expectations of others, pressures that you're putting on yourself, worries about the future, carrying the burdens of the past, always having hopes, always trying to control a situation, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you ready to give it all up? Now, most people will say, no, I'm not ready to give it all up. I'm okay with my life. And in the next line, the Guru explains why we, why we think like this. Gur Prasadi, Jinni Aap Tajya Har Vasana Samani By the Guru's grace, those who abandon themselves merge tendencies into Hari. This is probably the most important lesson that we're going to learn from Anand Sahib. The Guru now starts to break down who you are and what it is that is the root cause of why you think the way you do and why you act the way you do. And the Guru says that the root cause of your behaviors are down to two things. Aap, your self-perceptions, and Vasana, your habitual patterns. Let's start with Vasana first. The word Vasana means your subconscious behavioral patterns, your habits, your disposition, your tendency to live the life that you're living right now. And the way I like to think about our habits is that what we do is based on what we've done before. And a word that I think works really well for this is your programming. But the problem is that we don't really know why we act the way we do. And the Guru is, is clarifying an idea here. Your past defines your present. The experiences that you've had in your life lead to your perception of who you are right now. How things have panned out in your life so far have created and cemented an idea that this is who I am. And when you have a particular perception of who you are, what you are, what you can do, what you can't do, what the limitations of yourself are, that will then inform your behaviors. And so we can call this your karmic impressions. The things that have happened in your life leave an impression on you so deep that it molds you into, into who you are right now. So these are the things that have happened. These are your past experiences and your past experiences define your present behaviors. It defines your tendencies. And one way to think about this is if you've ever been emotionally hurt by someone and if you associate pain with that person, what you might start to do if you're unconscious is you will then associate that pain with other people who display similar characteristics. So you may even avoid other people with the same name as someone who's hurt you in the past. Or you might avoid people from the same background, the same culture, the same community as that one person who's hurt you. And we've seen this so many times before where somebody is hurt and they say, well, all people of that kind are like this. You know, sometimes people will say all men are like this, all women are like this. And what you're doing is what you're saying is I've been so impacted. The pain that I felt has been so deep that I'm going to protect myself from never experiencing that pain again. So 
This is how your past defines your present. It defines how you understand yourself. It defines how you look at the world and then how you engage with that world, how you interact with the world. So your childhood experiences and your previous traumas begin to define your worldview, how you see the world. And these start to hardwire patterns of behavior into adulthood and they define who you believe you are. And we see this very interestingly in Indian culture where the understanding that who you are as a child can be molded to make you into who you are as an adult. And in Indian culture, one of the things that pregnant mothers are encouraged to do is to meditate. And you'll often see mothers meditating because they want to pass on that experience to the unborn child. They want to pass on the good qualities of meditation, of stillness, of being stress-free into that, into the child so that the child may absorb some of that learning even while they're in the womb itself. And so what we're constantly trying to do is we're trying to give behaviors to our children. We're trying to allow our children to have the right experiences so that it forms who they are as an adult. And we see that that even after birth, it is the behaviors that the child goes through, but it's also the surroundings they're in. It's the environment, it's the people that they're exposed to, it's the society and their upbringing, and all of these things define who you are as a person. So the Guru is saying, your up and your vasana. Your past experiences define who you are, your sense of self, your self-perception, and your self-perception defines how you act. How you think about yourself, what you believe yourself to do, to be able to do, and the kind of person that you are, that you believe you are, defines how you act in the world. And these are your vasana, your behaviors or your tendencies. So now, when we understand these two elements of ourselves, you need to ask yourself, what behaviors have I been trying to change all this time? We all have habits and tendencies that we want to change, that we want to improve. We all have things that we are addicted to. And we don't necessarily talk about this, show this to others, but we know about them. We feel stuck with them. We feel like we've been trying for years and sometimes even decades to get rid of them and we don't know how to do this. How do we make this change? And when we try the modern techniques that society tries to give us, society starts by saying, well, if you want to change a habit, you need to start a new habit. Start by creating new habits. And the other thing that we're taught now by a lot of these life coaches is about our self-limiting beliefs. They're saying you believe a particular way about yourself, so you've created a limit. You've put a boundary on what you think you are, and you can break that. You need to understand that that's just something that you've, you've constructed in your mind, or your past has constructed in your mind, and you've done it unconsciously. So your self-limiting beliefs and your new habits are ways that you can start to, to, to break out of your, your behavioral patterns. We might often in the past have experienced failure. So when we experience failure, as well as learning from those mistakes, we also learn that it is a part of me that has failed. And if you're not careful, you can adopt that. You can take that failure to be your identity. 
I am a failure. I am not capable of doing this, this and this. I've tried before, so it's not possible. I can't do it. So these start to make very deep-rooted subconscious perceptions within us. What society trains us to do is to make external changes and mental and subconscious changes. The guru tries to do one thing even further. The guru says, that's fine to make those changes, but as long as you're focusing on actions and you're not actually aware of the doer of actions. Let me, let me say that again. We are trying to change behaviors by changing actions, by changing the self-perception about who we think we are. But the Guru is saying, you are not focusing on the doer of actions. The Guru changes the root cause of who you are, which is your sense of personal self. The Guru says, your I amness is something you've never addressed. The I amness is the very root cause of who you are, and that's the thing. Your up, that's the thing that the Guru is able to change. You're not able to even change that yourself. The Guru says, I'm able to go so much deeper into you and bring out your true Amrit, your true nectar, by unblocking these things that are deep rooted within you. So, what is the Guru doing? The Guru is teaching you time and time again you are not you. You are not the limited version of who you think you are. You are, in fact, the infinite divine essence. And here the word Hari has been used. This flowering, ever-changing essence of the universe itself. So, dissolve your I am and your behaviors will dissolve. This idea of Aptaj. Let's go back to what this line was saying before. Gurparsadi jini Aptajya. By the Guru's grace, those who have abandoned themselves. Now, this idea of self-abandonment, Aptaj, is the key to the whole spiritual path of the Guru. And time and time again, this is something that anyone in, who starts on a spiritual journey never really starts to understand that it isn't my behaviors and actions that need to change. What needs to change is my self-definition. When you define yourself as me, when you define yourself as the ego, when you think that I was born on this day and I will die on this day and what I do between birth and death is so important, when you're just limiting yourself to this body and mind, that's where all spirituality gets blocked. All the fruit of spirituality, all of the effort that you're doing in meditation will not go to its fullest extent because you're not dealing with the, the root cause of the problem. And the Guru deals with the root cause of the problem, which is to help you to abandon the sense of self, this apatajya, to let go of yourself. And this becomes your goal. This should be the path. This should be the only spirituality that you're practicing which is to learn to overcome your own sense of personal self, your own I amness. And very few people want to deal with their ego. We all want to feel better, feel less stress, feel more joy in our life. But the Guru is saying, until you deal with the ultimate sense of self, the up, the you that is behind your misery, then you will not be able to go forward. So. Because we don't want to go that far, we don't want to dig so deep within ourselves, 
we then blame other things for why our spirituality isn't working. And in the last line of this verse, Guru says, Nanak Chal Jugo Jug Nirali. Says Nanak, the devotee's stride is unique throughout the ages. And time is one of the things that we always like to blame. I don't have enough time. I am too busy. I've got too many responsibilities. I don't have time to meditate or, or to learn spirituality. But the Guru is saying, you don't need time to be who you are. You don't need time to be different. You'd need to just understand yourself in a different way. And the Guru uses this, this, this idea that the spiritual devotees have always been unique throughout all time, throughout all history of mankind, the unique path of the spiritual master has been something that we are not able to travel. And, and this is another excuse that sometimes we use that, oh, well, in the old days, life was a lot easier. They, they didn't have the pressures that we had. You know, life was, was so much easier. If, if I didn't have all the complications of my life and a mortgage and a job and my kids and all the other things that I need to do and my responsibilities, then of course I'd be able to be enlightened as well. And the Guru is saying, no, Throughout the ages, the unique path of the spiritual master has been the same. And throughout the ages, we have also been the same. We've always been distracted by things. Humanity has always been distracted by external worldly pleasures. No matter what the world looked like and in whatever period of time, human beings have always been the same. So nothing really changes over time. Our temptations are always there. Our distractions for Maya and towards the world has always been there. So this is a difficult path and it's been something that the very unique, rare people have been able to walk on this path. The path of being truly independent. The path of breaking away from societal norms. And so the question that we need to reflect on is how do I walk this path? How do I get on this path? How do I make a habit to merge with the oneness? And what the Guru is doing here is saying, learn from these devotees. Learn from these Bhagats. See what it is that they're doing. And remember, the Guru has not talked about their actions being different. The Guru has talked about their mindset being different. They have abandoned their desires, their cravings, their hoarding, their I amness identifying. They have desired, they have gotten rid of their very sense of self, learn from these Bhagats, walk their unique path and follow in their footsteps in order to taste the bliss of Anand. Answer these questions either by writing them down or by discussing them in a group. What positive or negative behaviors do you carry from your childhood? Is your self-perception restricted by your culture or community? Think of some changes that you can make on your own spiritual path. Are there any difficulties that you think will inhibit your personal growth? Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Nanak Nam is here to help transform the lives of people all around the world through the wisdom of Gurmat spirituality. And none of this work is possible without your support. If you feel that even more people could benefit by hearing Guru Nanak's message of oneness, then please consider setting up a regular monthly donation by visiting our website nanaknam.org forward slash donate. With your support, 
We're taking Gurmat global.